Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Good morning. Scripture reading will be from John 15, verses 12 through 17, which is page 956 in your pew Bible. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call, have called you my friends for all the things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Good morning. Happy Easter. We're glad that you're here with us today, all of our members here. We're glad to see you, of course. Uh, also, those of our guests today, of which we have quite a number that are with us, um, we appreciate your attendance here today. Um, about 1,923 years ago, if my math is right on this very day, everything in this universe changed when uh, Jesus who had died, laid down his life on the cross, took up his life again, he took up his body again, and he walked forth from the tomb, the angel having rolled the stone away. And that's the reason why we're here today. It's the reason why we worship him every Lord's Day. It's the reason why we have the hope of eternal life. It's the reason why we have the word of God to guide us in the way in this life. In other words, that day has changed everything, not only for the world in the general sense, but it's changed everything for each one of us in the specific sense. In other words, we all have been affected by the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And certainly we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus today. That's something that the world's mind is on, and so many people in the church, their minds are thinking about the resurrection of Christ today. Uh, I want to ask everyone who's here to do your very best to pay attention to the whole of this lesson. Uh, it's not anything terribly complex or deep, but it's something that's extremely, extremely important. And uh, it is my intention to preach the gospel in such a way today that everybody who is here today is going to understand where you stand in your relationship with God based upon how you have chosen to interact with, or so far have chosen not to interact with, the gospel of Jesus Christ, namely his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We just sing that beautiful hymn, and this month we've been talking about that hymn every week. We sang the, the hymn, Jesus Loves Me, and that first line says, Jesus loves me, 
This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. I want to think about that last line there. They are weak, but he is strong this morning. And make sure that we all are on the same page when we think about uh, what weakness means, what weakness means, what it means to be weak. Of course, weak is an adjective used to describe someone or something that is lacking strength, just in the simplest terms. If you look up uh, the dictionary uh, definition of the word weak, you'll find a whole bunch of definitions, but you can boil them all down basically to lacking strength or deficient or not able to accomplish something that, that one ought to accomplish as whatever, you know, something is. Uh, as a human being, if you've got a weak leg, that, weak, that leg doesn't function with the strength that you would like for it to have, and so on. If we find ourselves to be morally weak, it means that, that within our hearts, within our minds, within our spirits, we're not finding the strength to do the moral thing in life. And so weakness is, is to be deficient deficient in some area of life, physical, spiritual, emotional, and so on. You can say this, brothers and sisters, thinking about the whole big picture of the Bible story, I don't know exactly what we would have been had Adam and Eve not fallen in the garden and had none of their descendants fallen into sin. If this world had never fallen into sin, I really don't know what humanity would have been exactly because the Bible doesn't give us a very clear answer to that question. The Apostle John tells us in his first letter that it has not yet appeared what we shall be. When we see him coming in the second coming, then we will be transformed, changed. So we'll be like him and we'll see him as he is in that scenario and we'll be like that. But it, it has not yet been revealed exactly what that's going to be like. And so what we, what we could have been, say, if sin had never entered the world, and what we will be when the Lord finally does away with sin altogether. I can't tell you exactly what the answer to that question is going to be, except that it's going to be greater than we can imagine. But I can tell you in no uncertain terms what we all are now. And that is every single man, woman, and child alive on this planet is deficient spiritually is deficient spiritually. We're spiritually weak, and we all are. And if you think that you are spiritually strong in here today, if you think, well, I've got it together, I, I hope that you will reconsider that as we go through our thoughts and recognize that that is just not true, not on your own. The Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 41, the words of Jesus our Lord himself, he said this to his apostles, uh, and, and, and on that most fateful night after he had established the Lord's Supper, as Brother Aubrey spoke about just a moment ago, uh, had given the apostles a, kind of the last pep talk, you might say, and they'd gone out of that upper room and out of the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem, and they'd gone up the, uh, the Mount of Olives there to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was going to go pray and prepare himself. He knew what was coming. He knew Judas was coming with the mob to betray him, and he asked them to, to watch and pray that they might not enter into temptation. He says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, it's not my purpose to talk about what he means by the spirit being willing. I will say this, the Holy Spirit is certainly willing to help you and guide you in your life, but I think specifically in this context, he means the human spirit is conditioned by God to serve him and is capable of it. But unfortunately, as long as we're living in this fallen world, our spirits are in these bodies that have within them the seeds of corruption, the power of death, 
dwells within our mortal bodies. And it makes it difficult for us, not impossible, but difficult for us to live in the way that pleases God. And that's what Jesus means when he says the flesh is weak. So when we sing that song, Jesus loves me, and we say they are weak, but he is strong. Who is the they that we're talking about? You know, the song is primarily a children's hymn, and definitely children, little ones to him belong. Children are the first, you know, round of people that are in view in that lyric. But when we consider the words of Jesus, I think we can all sing that song and be the little ones in the song. And so, yes, it's primarily about those who are literally little ones physically in this world, our children. But aren't we all little ones compared to God? You know, the littlest among us here compared to the biggest among us here, the difference between the biggest of us here and let's just put it this way, the size of God, it's a whole lot bigger difference than it is between the biggest of us and the little of us in, in the littlest of us in this room. And so, hey, they, they is all of us. They is us. We are weak. Children are weak. Adults are weak. The weak among us are certainly weak. But the strongest of us, even spiritually, the strongest of us in this congregation today are still weak in comparison to what we should and ought to be in our relationship with God. But the good news begins to be preached in that song, Jesus Loves Me, with that line, but He is strong. And my friends, I want to make sure that we all understand just how strong Jesus is. Just how strong he is. The best of our ability as human beings to grasp this. Jesus, of course, is God being a man. And therefore, as the book of Colossians teaches us, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus in bodily form. So in his resurrected human body, which, by the way, he still inhabits and lives in, he sits on his throne at the right hand of the Father's throne on high, embodied, raised from the dead as a glorified human being. And within that bodily frame that Jesus occupies in his immortality now dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead. In other words, all power, all authority, all ability. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, Matthew 28 and verse 18. There is nothing that Jesus wants to do that he cannot do. He is powerful beyond human comprehension. And I think maybe a passage to help us just to get our minds wrapped around that happens to be this one in Matthew 26 as well, beginning in verse 53. And this is after Jesus has been betrayed. And Peter has pulled out his sword, and he's, uh, he's, he's going to fight. The apostles, at least in that initial moment, they're going to fight. And Jesus stops them, and he says these words. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? Now, you know who he's talking about, God the Father, He says, do you you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. We sometimes sing that hymn, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. I don't know how many angels it would take. You forgive me, this is humorous to me. I don't know how many angels it would have taken to destroy this world, but I know how many he had access to. And it was more than it would have taken. Do you understand that? So Jesus, when he gave his life, 
He gave his life of his own free will. It was not because he was too weak to hold on to it. It was not because there was anybody in the human world strong enough to take his life from him. He says in John chapter 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Notice his words. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And listen to the authority that Jesus said even before he laid down his life. And he knew it the authority, the power that God the Father had given to him. He says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You will find no other being in existence that has this kind of power and authority. Jesus only has this kind of power and authority. He is so strong. He is so strong. And yes, he loves you, and he loves me. Those are probably the greatest words in all of language. Yes, Jesus loves me. Man, I really hope that you sang that with us a moment ago, and I hope that you thought about yourself when you sang those words. But if not, then maybe the next time you have the opportunity, Lord willing, next Sunday, you'll sing that song with kind of a renewed sense of, of, of personalization, that this is about me. Jesus loves me, this I know. Yes, I am weak. I know that I struggle every single day to do what's right. And there are all of these motives that are always circling around in my mind, and well, nine-tenths of them are not consistent with the will of Jesus. And that's the daily fight that we're all dealing with as his children in this life. But, but he loves us. He, he is strong, and he's able to, to enable us to remain faithful, to overcome the weaknesses in our lives, and, and to achieve a victory by being faithful unto death. And if we'll only do that, brothers and sisters, then our future is set eternally. What a great offer that is from him. And I'm so very grateful. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So what does this mean? It means, well, when there was no human being in the world who had any hope at all, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, verse 23, Jesus decided to leave his perfect existence in heaven and to become a man so that we abuse him and insult him and spit on him and flog him and scourge him and crucify him and reject him so that he could become the perfect lamb of God, the sacrifice to bear the sins of the world to bear them away from all who will put their faith and trust in him, to leave those sins crucified, executed, dead in the grave, to rise from the dead, leaving those sins. They weren't his own, our sins, my sins and yours. He left them crucified in the tomb. And you know that happened just at the right time in human history, but I believe that the hand of God, the Spirit of God, the providence of God is active. He is alive and working in this world as much as he has ever been. The Holy Spirit knows each one of us, is concerned with each one of us, and he sees to it that everybody who, who even has the shred of a hope of opening their hearts and listening to the gospel, he makes sure that they hear the truth of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus at some time that is right in their life. And I, I'm saying this to everyone today because we do have our regular folks here, but guests here too, and I don't know why you're here today except that I know that God's providence touches everything and is involved with everything and I believe that you're here for a reason 
And it may be that today is the day that you make a step that you've never taken before to own Jesus as Lord. It may be that you're here today because God is calling you to repentance. You hadn't been living a faithful Christian life and you know it. And today may be the day that you can make that right because it's not by your strength that you're going to achieve the righteousness of God. No one standing before his throne on judgment day will be told, boy, you sure did do a great job. Man, you really did show everybody what it was like to be spiritually strong. That will be said to no one of us. If you're saved on judgment day, it's because of his strength, not yours. And it's because at some point in your life, at the right time in your life, you decided rather than standing up for yourself and living your own way, instead, you'd bow the knee and bow your head to Jesus and accept him for who he is and what he is. And that is your Lord and your Savior and your God. He died for you, and I hope you know that today. And you must believe. You absolutely must believe. In a previous lesson, we've talked about this passage. I just want to reiterate it in your hearing this morning. We hear, have these words in John 3, verse 18. You know John 3, 16, right? Everybody's favorite passage in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we get down just two verses later to verse 18, and we get this warning. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's the good news. The rest of the passage says, but listen, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let me tell you this, my friends. If you were of such great moral fiber, if you had such moral excellence about you and your lowly mortal frame, just such a strong person morally, that you were able never ever to fall short of God's glory, you never committed any sin in all of your days, Jesus would still be God's Son, your Lord and Master, and your rightful King, and if you refuse to own him as Lord and to worship him and follow his way, that is sin enough to condemn your soul. But the fact of the matter is, and we all know this is true, none of us are that strong. So none of us here in this room today can even claim that. And so if you know that you do sin and you have sinned and you have sin and weaknesses in your life, then what, why would you not embrace Jesus with all of your soul and all of your being? I mean, it's the only chance that you've got. You'll get no other. It's the only hope that there is in the world. And the Bible is very clear about this. It's not just a bunch of, you know, Christian preachers that are mean and arrogant that want to tell all the rest of the world that they're wrong. The only thing I'm going to preach to you, my friends, is what the Bible says is true. And I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I hope that you do too. If the Bible gives me a pathway that I am to follow in order to be right with the Lord who died for me, then it's the least that I can do to follow that pathway. Right? Isn't it the least I can do? I'm asking everybody in here to think about that question. If I have no hope because I'm a sinner and God made a way for me by giving his sinless son to die for me and I, and I have a pathway that is thus open to me that I can be saved, that I can be forgiven, that I can be right with him, restored into family relationship with the father that I have spurned because of my sin, then what could possibly in life be a higher priority than that? And I hope that makes sense. And all I can do is just preach the word and hope the folks have an open heart to hear what it has to say. And you must obey. I, I've skipped this, so I've got to go back to it. Same chapter, John 3. We just read verse 18. That assertion, the Bible teaches you've got to believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're lost in your sins. 
Later in the passage, I want you to notice verse 34 of John chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, right? That's the truth. We believe in that statement. Notice the second part of the passage. It's, it's a parallel sort of statement to this. It tells us what that, what that really means, what that looks like if we actually see it. If you see someone who believes in Jesus, there, there's a certain thing that you're going to see. And the second part of this passage highlights that. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so when the Bible tells us in John 3 that the pathway to salvation is through belief in Jesus Christ, that is the absolute truth. But it's not just that somebody says, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, I believe in the Bible. Yes, I believe He died for me and all of that. And so I'm just going to say that that's true. And then I'm just going to keep on living a sinful life without any change whatsoever. If, if that's the way that you're responding to the gospel, you're lost. If, if that's the way you're responding to Jesus, you're in your sins. You're lost. You see, it's not that we earn salvation. None of the, the passages in the New Testament that teach about a Christian's works, the works that are supposed to characterize a Christian life, in any way teach us that we can earn or that we can contribute even to our salvation. Salvation is 100% a gift of God as an act of grace upon those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us that putting your belief or your trust in Jesus means that you're going to have to put your money where your mouth is is. Your, your feet are going to have to walk the walk that your mouth opens itself up to talk. That, that's what you're going to have to do. And if someone can't look at your life and tell that you're a Christian, you might want to question whether or not you are. Is that too hard? And I think this passage is teaching us this. If I believe, I will obey. If I believe that Jesus is Lord, I'm going to try to do what he says. The last line of the song, Jesus loves me. I will try to live for him. That's what it means. We know we're not going to do it perfectly, and the Bible doesn't tell us that we have to. But the Bible does tell us that if we truly believe, we're going to make a good faith effort to obey, and we're going to persist in that effort to grow in our obedience over the course of our lives. And what do we obey other than his teaching that is contained in the Bible, the Word of God, and those of his apostles and the prophets of the ancient generations. That's what we do. So there's no such thing as a Christian who is not striving to live according to the teachings of the Bible. And so I say this as an act of love, as an informative act of love to everybody here today, that if your daily life, and I'm not talking about what happens just on Sunday, but if your daily life, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, doesn't have Bible in it every day, I don't just mean you're reading it every day, although that ought to be your, your bread and your water. Of course you ought to be reading the Bible every day. But if every day doesn't consist of something, something you said, something you thought, something that you did, that is a direct obedient response to the commands of God in Scripture, you're not doing it right. Is that clear enough? <laughs> I hope it is. I hope it is. And so we see what this passage teaches. So we absolutely must obey. Here are some warnings. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 it speaks about what's going to happen on Judgment Day. The Lord with His mighty angels is going to appear in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's pretty narrow, right? Well, it seems like Matthew 7, 13 and 14 said something about a narrow way. And so I'm just going to say the Bible is pretty consistent on this. 
You might think it's mean if you don't understand God and you don't understand righteousness and you don't understand just how ugly and sinful sin really is. And it may seem harsh when you read these passages, but your opinion on the matter won't change the truth. And again, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you God has shown us love by telling us what is going to happen on Judgment Day. And He's made every preparation to enable us to avoid this fire of judgment that will come on that day upon those who have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And I want you to focus on that term, obeying the gospel. 1 Peter 4, verse 17, Peter says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. In other words, God's judgment begins in the church. And if it begins with us, those of us who are saved by grace, if judgment begins among us, notice this rhetorical question. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And we'll let your imagination kick in. What do you think will be the outcome? You see, the implication of the passage is clear. I don't even have to explain anything. You can already draw that conclusion on your own. I know you've got sense to do it. So how do we obey the gospel? That's maybe the most important question of life. Other than the question, who is Jesus? Is He the Son of God? Is He the risen Lord? That's first. Second, what am I going to do in response to that? How am I going to go obey the gospel? This is a question that all of us need to ask at least once in our lives, and we need to follow through on whatever the right answer is. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, the apostle says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. And so what Jesus is doing through the gospel is he's bringing sinners to God. He's making saints out of sinners, purifying and cleansing us so that our relationship with God that has been destroyed by sin is restored. So if you're going to obey the gospel, you've got to first know what the gospel is, right? Well, it is the good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's the good news. And man, is it ever the good news. The good news tells us that Jesus lived sinlessly, and that was absolutely essential because he couldn't bear the sins of the world as the Lamb of God if he had to die for his own. He didn't have to die for his own. He never committed any. That's why he could be the righteous sacrifice to take your place. He laid down his life and he died as a sacrifice for our sins. And he rose from the dead, eternally victorious over death. And as a result of his perfect obedience, God has highly favored him, that is, graced him, exalted him, and he has decided as an act of grace that he will share that favor that he has for Jesus, his perfect son, with all of those who obey Jesus, who take him on as Lord, who put their faith and trust in him. In other words, if you decide to own Jesus as Lord, to live the life that flows from that decision, God will grace you with the favor that Jesus earned. In other words, God, as an act of love, will look at you, the weak one, and will apply the strength of his son, the strong one, to your life. He will save you. He will cleanse you. He will give you a home with him in heaven. He will regard you as if you were perfect, even though you and he both good and well know that nothing could be farther from the truth. That is the good news, that God loves us and saves us and regards us as righteous even when deep down inside we know that we're not. So we've talked about how to obey the gospel. We know what the gospel is now. Well, you've seen that you've got to believe and, and trust in the gospel. You saw in, in verse 34 of John 3 that this parallel is made. The one who believes is the one who obeys. If you hear the word and you say, yeah, I think that's right, but you don't begin to try to live it out. And in the eyes of God, you don't believe. 
If someone says, hey, the tornado's coming, get in your storm shelter, and you're like, well, I see it. I see the tornado right there coming down the street, but I'm not going to get in my storm shelter. But what's going to happen, you know? The storm's going to take you, man. It's just as simple as that. So we, we've got to make the decision no longer to live the way that we would live, guided by ourselves. And we've got to make the decision to embrace the way of Jesus. That's what repentance means. And it's absolutely essential, Acts 17, 30, and 31. You've got to make that change. A change of mind that will result in a change of life that leads you into that pathway of Christian growth. That's what repentance means. The Bible tells us in Acts 17, 30, and 31, it's absolutely essential to your salvation. And so I don't know what's happened with the screen. It's blinking on and off, probably once again because the devil hates this sermon. That's, that's my thought about it. So uh, Because this sermon will get people saved because it's the truth. And he doesn't want you to be saved. And I just want, I'm just going to go ahead and preach against him. You know, when, when we think about this, I mean, if, if you have not done what we're talking about in this sermon, you need to do it today. You may never get another chance in your life. Today is a day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. Tomorrow is too late. Every day for many sad souls. Don't be one of them. Obeying the gospel means more than simply obeying the commandments of Jesus. It means that. It means more than just obeying apostolic teaching in the New Testament and, and, and living in the Spirit of Christ as you interpret and apply the Old Testament to your life. It means all of those things. But obeying the gospel means that you are actually going to reenact or walk through the steps of the gospel as the grand transition of your life. And that culminates in the moment of baptism. And I put this chart on the screen because I want you to see that the, the bap baptism is the point in life when one who has put their trust in Jesus transitions from weakness to strength. And it's not that something changes about the composition of your body. That, that's not the point at all. Baptism is not about cleansing the body. It's not an old Jewish ritual. It's something bigger than that. It's something more important than that. It, it's a way to respond to the death, burial, and resurrection uh, of Jesus. To say, I now, from now on, am going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. Wherever his pathway leads, that's where I'm going to go. Since his pathway went through the waters of baptism, which was itself a symbol of his actual death, burial, and resurrection, his descent into the tomb and his rising up in resurrection, that's exactly what baptism means. And, and so when a person puts their faith in Jesus and obeys the commandment to be baptized, they're buried. We, we got this baptistry right here. And by the way, just so you know, the water's real warm and ready in case anybody wants to use it today. Just letting you know, hint, hint, in case today is the day for somebody, that, that water there, there's nothing special about it. It's got chlorine in it, so hopefully it doesn't have, you know, some horrible disease. It, it should be okay in that regard. But there is nothing special about that water. The only thing that is special is the grace of God that the Holy Spirit imparts to the believer's spirit, body as well, when they're immersed in that water. And what it means, how you obey the gospel is simply this. You choose to believe it. You're going you're gonna to obey it. You're going to walk through with Jesus the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil because you know that it leads to resurrection. You go down into the waters and you die with him and you're buried with him in his tomb symbolically. And in his death, that's where his blood was shed, in his death. And when you encounter the death of Christ, that's where by the Spirit's power you encounter the blood 
of Christ. And that's why the Bible tells us in Acts 22 and verse 16, the baptism washes away our sins. It's for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. Baptism saves us, 1 Peter 3 verse 21. Not again because there's anything special about the water or about your obedience or about, there's nothing meritorious in it at all. It's simply that's where you meet the death of Christ and are cleansed by his blood. And when you come up out of the waters just like Jesus rose from the dead, you now are participating in his resurrection. And you live the rest of this earthly life as if you've already been raised with Jesus, striving to grow to make his heavenly life more and more of your daily reality. And because you've been united with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on Judgment Day, when your body is raised from the dead, and when you stand before the throne of Christ in judgment, and I hope that you realize that day will come. One day you will stand before Jesus on his throne, and you'll give an account of your life. And if you haven't been baptized into Christ, you haven't obeyed the gospel. And it is not going to go well for you, my friend. Not because God's mean, but because he has been so kind. Because he has been so very gracious in giving you a way out of having to bear your own sins. I want to read with you just a portion of Romans chapter 6, and I'm not going to elaborate on it. I'm just going to read the text because I want you to see that everything that I have said today is absolutely coming directly from the Bible. It's not my opinion, it's the Word of God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we had been united with him in a death like his... We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died... He, he, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make it obey your passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Isn't it clear? Yeah. It's just as simple as it can possibly be. Here's a chart that I've used in teaching classes, and sometimes just sitting across the table with someone, you would do well to have something like this memorized or maybe a screenshot of it in your phone. I'll leave it up there just for a second if you'd like to. Well... I thought I would. <laughs> I, I felt the blackness of Satan's darkness come over us there again. But uh, 
baptized into Christ, Romans 6, 3, we just read, Galatians 3, 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, or been clothed yourself with Christ, it says baptized into Christ, Romans 6, and multiple times, it says we're baptized into Christ, into his death, into his resurrection. So the Bible tells us all the blessings that are in Christ. You're blessed in Christ, you're redeemed in Christ, you're forgiven in Christ, there's no condemnation in Christ, you're a part of new creation in Christ, you're saved in Christ. You're headed for eternal life in Christ. But if you're not in Christ, you're not blessed, you're not redeemed, you're unforgiven, you're condemned, you're fallen, you're broken, a, a fallen and broken creature, you're not saved, and you're headed for eternal death. And listen, it's not all about baptism. It's not all about baptism. But you won't be in Christ without it. You will not be in Him without it. And that's the teaching of Scripture. And so a blessing and a warning. Romans 8, verse 26, this is a blessing to Christians. Children who are still in their innocence and adults who have obeyed the gospel have this blessing. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That is, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Listen, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I think sometimes we take the privilege of prayer for granted. Like, well, it's just obvious that God is going to listen to everybody's prayers, and maybe he will. But nobody except Christians has the blessings of God's help in our prayer life. Because you don't know how to pray to God. Listen, please. You don't know how to pray to God the way that you should. If you don't have the Holy Spirit's help, I don't know what's happening in your prayer life. I hope that that makes you want to have the Holy Spirit's help. And here's a warning. Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. That's the second coming of Christ. But my righteous one, in the meantime, shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, listen to the words of the Lord. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Just a few words. When you have obeyed the gospel, you need to keep on living that resurrection and life faithful to Jesus until he comes to get you or until you go to him. And that means you keep the faith as long as you live because he wants you to be saved. His son died for you. His blood was shed for you. But even after you embrace him, if you decide you don't want him anymore, he won't force you to stay with him. If you decide you don't want to live his way anymore, he won't force you to live it. Brothers and sisters, it remains your choice to be his loyal servant for as long as you live. And if you would be with him in glory, you must remain faithful regardless of the cost. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Have you availed yourself of the strength of Christ, my friend? Today, you need to seriously discuss this with yourself and with your God in your mind and decide what you need to do. If you are a faithful, baptized believer still living in the grace of God, striving to be obedient to Him in every day, keep the faith, brother. Keep the faith, sister. Keep on moving forward. Don't ever turn back. 
If you are an unfaithful believer, that is, you have been baptized into Christ as an act of penitent faith, but, but the world has overcome you, you've let the devil get you sidetracked and distracted, well, today is the day to renew your obedience to him. And maybe you can just say a prayer to him right now in your mind. God, I'm sorry that I have not been faithful to Jesus, my Savior. And please forgive me, restore me today. He will do so. You make that decision that every single day from now on, you're going to serve Jesus the best of your knowledge. Maybe you need to come forward and say, you know, listen, it's gone far enough. I need your help. I need you to pray for me. I will lift up my voice to heaven in your behalf and say a prayer to God for you today. And today, if you're old enough that you know right from wrong and you know you've sinned and you haven't obeyed the gospel, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost. Jesus knows where you are. He can make you found. He can save you today. Are you subject to the invitation? The front pews are open. Don't hesitate. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.